I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. James, can you hear me? Hello, James. I can hear you. All right, we're doing the podcast today from a Marriott somewhere in North Carolina. Well, we aren't. You are. I'm, I'm sitting at my house in my bedroom. So you're in Toronto. I'm sorry. I got a baby's crib next to me and some hanging sheep and diapers, and it's it's looking pretty good in here. Well, so I don't know if it's too inside baseball for you, and you're kind of involved in this when you're on the road, but like, I'm in charge of planning where we go to eat tonight. <laughs> And it's become like a little bit of a competition between Sean McKenzie and I. He's trying to take hold of the, the job of being boss. The place that Sean took us to in L.A. last week was very, very good. It was expensive. That that was the only downside to well, it. Well, so that's what Sean's known for. He takes us to these very hip, fancy restaurants, which are good. But I'm trying to deliver something more approachable to the media today. So <laughs> it's a lot of pressure on me. Because <laughs> Sean's gunning for my job. Who picked the one in Boston at MIT? That one was really good. That was me. Yeah. We don't get a lot of downtime on the road. Like, lots of times it's just, like, a meal. So sometimes that's, like, when we get together. And a lot of the time we're working long days and and then traveling. And um, Well, it's like you have the night before the game, basically. That's what you got, yeah. So we have a meal and a couple of drinks and then... Well, so back when I used to do, like, every single game and I used to travel with the team, uh, that media group, like... Ralphie and, and Dennis and Paul Andy. Hendrick and those guys, they used to go to like the same place every time they go to a certain city. And it just used to eventually drive me nuts because like we would be in New York and they would go to like this Italian restaurant in Times Square. And I'm just like, okay, see you guys. Done. Well, Probably I remember being in New York with you and you would just like disappear and you'd like walk to Brooklyn or something. And Wow, like you're in New York. Anyway. Welcome to the Leaf Report Podcast, brought to you by the Saki Hall of Fame. Uh, we have the live show next week from the Rivoli. Uh, please come out. It was really fun last time. I did. We James and I didn't really know. Well, James, you're right here. We didn't know how it was going to go. Uh, we didn't know actually know what it was going to be like, but it was fun. And like people came out, and we they had asked questions, and we had Justin Bourne there, and we had Mark Masters. Yeah. So come have a beer and listen to the podcast. Um, 
we will probably talk about a certain player who's not on the team right now just because that will be two days before the December 1st deadline. So uh, if you put in the code, the athletic, um, you can get 20% off. And if you need to find the website, just go to one of our Twitter pages and you'll find it there. James, anything else? Or the Leaf Report Twitter account has, yeah. It's it's through Puck Talks. If you Google Puck Talks, you'll find the live show. And I think it's with the discount, it's like 15 bucks or something. And we gave away some free beer and there were some free uh, uh, National Saki Hall of Fame socks and stuff like that. So it's just, it's cool to see some of the people come out and, and support the podcast. And Justin Bourne's going to be there again. And Mark Masters, is Scotty Mack coming? I think Scotty Mack might be coming. So, you know, it's I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, well, so let's get into some actual discussion. Uh, I think we'll start with Austin Matthews inching his way back. Let's not talk exactly about Matthews, but uh, they're now, well, we don't need to give an exact record because some people might listen to this after the game they play in Carolina, but they have a good record without Austin Matthews, which like isn't totally surprising because they're, they're a good team. They're a reasonably deep team. Um, has anything about this this stretch without Matthews surprised you, or, or has everything kind of been as you thought it might? I think they've won more than I thought they would, and I think that they've looked, you know, they've played really, I mean, they just completely crushed L.A., and I know L.A. is struggling right now, and then I thought they looked really good against San Jose. The Anaheim game was a bit more of a, a battle, and so was the Columbus game. Um, but, they, I mean, they've played some really good games without Nylander and without Matthews, which... You know, I think if you would have told us that in September, we would have thought, well, that's that's probably pretty tough. It's tough for any team to miss two of their top scorers, but this is where the depth that they've got comes in. And I know earlier in the year, you and I debated whether they had enough depth or not with with given the GOAT was in the lineup and and uh, uh, Lindholm was playing up on the third line, And but it's it's been working pretty well. And they're fortunate how hot... Uh, John Tavares and, and, and Mitch Marner and uh, Kadri's gotten a bit hot, but, you know, Morgan Riley, Kapanen has really stepped up, you know, it, all of the, all of the pieces have kind of fallen in play into place and, you know, they, they're tops in the East right now, which, I mean, you can't really, I don't think you can argue a lot with, with what they've accomplished without Matthews. Well, so you hit on some, some important points and it's funny, like when it, when it, first happened he was going to be out my initial thought was like they're going to be okay because and like it to me it, it boiled down to Tavares to, I'm just screw it I'm not going to even think about how I say it I'm just going to say it you said it good so I felt some pressure but you just felt like I just felt like you have another all-star center you have one of the I don't know 25 best players in the world uh like you go from having like line one and line 1a to being able to have like that other line I just thought that was going to be so huge given the fact that they also had Kadri and they, they were okay last year without Matthews. Now, some of that was like a mirage. Some of that was goaltending, but like, I just felt like when you had that one center, it makes such a huge difference. But then I started to worry that they were just going to be a one line team. And we've seen that a little bit. And yet we've seen them play really well overall, like defensively, they played well, some games, Frederick Anderson's been awesome. Some games and like the depth you touched on, has been there more than it looked like it might when he got hurt. You know what I think? I'm working on a piece right now that kind of looks at how sustainable the record is, and we can talk about that a little bit more in depth uh, in a bit. But what 
I think they had, when Matthews was healthy, was I think they had two first lines, basically. Yes. They had two first lines and a third line and a fourth line. I mean, we can quibble over... I think sure. they. I think the Kadri line's a third line. I mean, Kadri's obviously well, given better. what it was producing offensively, for sure. And the guys they have there, you know. Yes. And, and looking at some of their underlying numbers and stuff, it's that you know if he's playing with Lindholm and Brown or or, or who was the left winger uh, or yeah, Johnson, it was Lindholm. Yeah. So Lindholm and Brown. I mean, that's pretty much a third line in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were getting kind of the production you'd expect out of a third line from that from that group. So they were basically like first line, first line, third line, fourth line, whereas most NHL teams, obviously, an average NHL team would be first, second, third, fourth. Um, you take you take Matthews out, and all of a sudden, they're more like a one, two, three, four team, which is fine. Yeah. I mean, it's, and they're, they're a better than average one, two, three, four team, and they're getting good goaltending, and as you said, they're playing better defensively. So you add all those elements together, it's not like this is a weak team. I don't think you'd want to go into the playoffs necessarily with this group, but it's good enough that you can you can win some of these tight games. Well, we should touch on Anderson a little bit more, but one thing before we get to that, I think it's you pointed this out in your report cards, which if anybody hasn't checked out, go check that out at the Athletic. But um, you noted that Marlowe's been more effective when he plays with Kadri, and that was true last year. Uh, that's been true this year. It's going to make it a really interesting decision for Mike Babcock when Matthews does come back because his inclination, obviously, over the summer was to put Marlowe with Matthews. That didn't totally work at all. Uh, Marlowe just didn't look like he was at the stage of his career where he could play with someone like Matthews. What what would you do um, when he came back? Like, who would you play Matthews with? Because even Kapanen has looked, obviously, he looked really good with Matthews, but he's looked fine with with. Kadri and if you keep that threesome together suddenly like you're a little deeper lower in the lineup for sure yeah I mean I think I like the way that that Marlowe Kadri Kapanen looks there that just seemed like they've got three different elements that yeah. work and they've produced offense and I think that if you get Nylander back it makes sense to keep those three together uh, as your quote-unquote third line then all of a sudden I think you can make the argument that they got two first lines a second line and a fourth line and then that's right. that's a lot of depth. So, but that's what that's you need Nylander back to have that be the case. Um, you don't get Nylander back, uh, then Matthews needs someone to play with, you know. And yeah, um, the one hole that that creates leaving Marlowe with Kadri is on the left wing with Matthews, and your options are going to be Josh Levo or Andreas Janssen. Um, I guess you could bump Par Lindholm up. I mean, I think he's played well. I don't know that you want to, you probably don't want him playing with Matthews. The other guy that, that we should talk about is I think potentially Connor Brown can play on the left wing, which he hasn't done yet really at the NHL level. Um, but he did it in, in junior. And, uh, I think he did it a little bit with the Marlies too. And even though he's a right shot, I think that, that he potentially could play there. So whatever the look is, I think that the, that's a really, really dominant offensive lineup if you if if they get both of those guys back here in the next couple of weeks. But then, who do you play on the other side of Matthews? Like, let's say you don't have Neander back. I guess we should still assume that, that Neander's going to be back. Like, should I think so? Should we make that assumption? Yeah. I mean, I would say it's like eighty, eighty-five percent chance. I, I, I still feel like. I, well, we're going to talk about this a bit later in the podcast, so maybe we'll save it for them. But I still feel like some resolution is going to happen. The, the the tough thing is like, man, it's like suddenly you've got that that line going with Kadri, and, and Kadri's obviously gotten going offensively. He's gotten some luck going his way after not really going his way to start. But like, 
it becomes difficult to find like who you should put with Matthews because I don't know, like it, it, it feels like Matthews is at the point and, and obviously he's still really early in his career, but it, it feels like you can put almost anyone with him and he's going to make them better. Like that was what really stuck out with Kapanen playing there is like suddenly Kapanen looked like a different player. It was like suddenly he played with Matthews and Matthews and making plays and, and finding him uh, good looks. And, and obviously Matthews draws so much attention. It's just like Kapanen looked like a player you didn't think he was. I would think if, if I was Mike Babcock, I'd put Kapanen back there. And then I think it would be the question of, like you, you mentioned, what do you do on the left side? The, the one thing he hasn't been willing to do is move Andreas Janssen up. But what you could do, if, if you were okay with that, and he has looked a lot better recently, is you could just move Parland home back to left wing and have Frederick Gauthier remain on that fourth line. Like, to me, that's the least disruption, I think, to the lineup. But I don't the, know. We the do that. The question, like, I think Lindholm has outperformed what we were expecting um, coming Yeah, out. and I think that's, like, a really sneaky part about... I wrote about that, um, so it's, like, on top of my mind. But I think that was really good for them to see that he could play higher in the lineup and play fine. And, like, when, when he goes back to centering the fourth line, suddenly, like, their lineup looks even better than you thought it would. The so only, the, yeah, the only caveat to that is that I'm not sure how much offense Parlandholm has. Like, he, sure. he's... He's really aggressive and tenacious defensively on the back check, and he seems really smart defensively. And, you know, you look at some of the results. He's one of the guys that's near the top of the the roster in terms of, I think, on the high danger scoring chances in terms of uh, how many they're generating, how many they're giving up. And I think it's it's mostly in how much they're giving up. He he just seems really positionally aware. Um, You know, he might only be a guy that, he just might not have enough offense to play higher than a third line. That's the only thing. Whereas someone like Andreas Janssen, you know, really produced um, a ton of offense in the American Hockey League. So I would... Yeah, and he's... Star- and he's younger. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and he's starting to look like he did last year. Like, he's starting to look fast. He's starting to skate. He's starting to get chances. Well, if you can get him going, I mean, that's one way you talk about what Matthews made Kapanen look like. I mean... Get Janssen going, you know, give give him some favorable looks with a really good player. And and Janssen has the hands, I think, to make some things happen. Yeah, well, and so that would be a line of Janssen, Matthews, Kapanen, which would be an interesting line. The, the one, one thing, like going back to training camp, one mistake I think Babcock made is I think he overthought what to do with Janssen, and I think he made it more difficult than he needed it to be. Like, he wanted from what I could tell, to put Janssen basically on the fourth line and say, you need to earn your place higher in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Instead of like looking at someone like Janssen and kind of knowing who he is, like he's not that kind of guy who you're going to need to worry about being cocky or like thinking too highly of himself. It would have just made so much more sense just to start him with Kadri and not like overthink it and try to do this whole rookie thing. Do you know what I mean? Like it, and it, I think it had an effect on Janssen to start the year where like he just didn't have it. I think both Janssen and Dermott struggled in the first, let's say, 10 games of the season with kind of their confidence. And part of it was there was the tough love approach from the coaching staff uh, over you got to earn your spot. I mean, there was talk about is Dermott going to make the team from from Mike Babcock kind of thing. And, you, you know, you, yeah. you do in the AHL, but you got to do it in the NHL. That's what he said with, with Janssen. And, and I think you're right. I mean, I think there has to be an element of sometimes you need to – like these young guys – you had it in your Dermot story last week. Sometimes they're not sure if they're 
they're good enough for the league, right? Like they're still trying to find their way and they're trying to find their confidence. And then if you have someone who's as big a voice and as, you know, respected and been around the game for as long as Mike Babcock saying, eh, I don't know, I don't know, you know, you got to got to earn your spot. It's one thing to do in the NHL, but now you got to do it in the NHL, which I guess is true, but it's interesting. I think that I think that coaching in the NHL has evolved and the old school way was to be really hard on young players and and we're coming out of that a little bit. Um, yeah. It just it just felt that it, it it I don't think it I don't think it helped. I don't think it motivated those players. I think it made them I don't I don't know. Maybe doubt themselves. Well, you can a like bit. you can put yourself in their situation like imagine like if you know your boss is like a little bit like even if you don't know what their intention is, like you think your boss might be a little bit like hesitant about you not sure what you're bringing to the table it wouldn't it naturally get in the back of your mind where you're like ah maybe i'm not maybe i'm not that good whereas like if your boss is like you know i think i think so much of you and i think you've got potential i don't know i can just see it going well i think what it did with someone like dermot this is just watching him play i think he was overthinking the way that he was playing and sure that when dermot's at his best he's not afraid to be creative he's not afraid to make plays that that stand out um he's not afraid to take little chances in terms of how he plays with the puck in his own end and how he starts the breakout and and that's why he's it's so exciting that he has that ability to do that and i think that when you're in a position where you're wondering if the coach is doubting you or not that there can be you can if you're second guessing yourself while you're trying you're taking away some of that that creative play and we've seen that come back in his game i think over the last you know whatever it is eight to ten games and i'm 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 really high on the potential of both of those guys so it's they're going to be two um key figures i think to watch here over the next what do we got left 61 games huh, you're already looking ahead to the end of the year eh? well i mean with the way with how well the leafs are playing i mean I think the story's going to be they're battling Tampa for the division and what do they do at the trade deadline and who do they play in the first round of the playoffs and all of those things are all on the table right away, which is unusual oh, for us covering this team, but I, I think that those are all legitimate things to, to think about. Sure. Although, the, like, the knee under meatball is so big, like, you can't really... It's yeah. so hard to, like, figure out what's going to be uh, beyond. Like, so let's, let's talk about Dermot um, and how it ties to Jake Gardner a little bit more. Part of what makes that discussion a little difficult is because you don't know what's going to happen with the owner and you don't know if they're going to trade him and what they get back and like how that would impact other decisions. But what would you do? Like if you were in Kyle Dubas's shoes and you've got Gardner and you really like Gardner, but you know, he's going to be expensive and you've got this kid Dermot who you like a lot and you think has potential, but he's also really young and like asking him next year to start playing top four minutes is is a big ask for like a cup team. Where would you try to go with Gardner, or or would you just be comfortable keeping Dermot and letting Gardner walk and using that cap space elsewhere? This is what I think is going to happen. I think they're going to go to Gardner's camp and they're going to say, "We like you. We want to keep you. Here's the number, and here's you know here's the years, and here's the cap hit that we can work with. Um, are you interested in doing that?" And we were talking about this in the press box. I wouldn't be surprised, and I should probably write about this at some point. I wouldn't be surprised if the number is under six in terms of the cap hit and. You know, maybe they can they can put a lot of term on that or whatever, but I just think that if you look at how tight the Leafs cap situation is going to be, especially next year, they need to get Gardner at a lower number than he's going to get in free agency. So that would put 
the conversation back in Gardner's lap and he would have to decide, do I want to take, let's say it's a million dollars a year haircut. Do I want to take that much less? Or let's say it's 750. Do I want to take that much less to play on one of the best teams in the NHL, potentially win a Stanley Cup and stay in Toronto where he seems to be pretty comfortable and, and happy? That Those are the kind of decisions that the Leafs don't really have a choice here. I mean, they're going to have to force some of these guys to make these decisions. And if they want to make as much money as they possibly can, they can go play for, you know, uncompetitive Team X. Or or you can decide, do you want to stay here and make a little bit less? And I think that that's the smart play from Kyle Dubas. And one of the reasons they can do it is that they're not under a lot of pressure to keep him because they've got some really good options on left defense coming. I think Dermott can play top four next year. I think he could probably play it right now, to be honest with you. Um, but I think for sure he can play next year, especially if they can find a way to get a better partner for him on the right side. Um, Ron Hainsey's going to be gone, so there's going to be a shuffle uh, on the on the decor. That's that's where I weigh in on that. And if I totally understand if the player wants the money, it's a lot of money, um, but that's the position the Leafs are in with players like that. Yeah, it makes for like such an interesting long term like question if it's actually the best thing to do like if you if you know you've got these younger guys who you think are going to be able to play on your team in the next few years does it make sense to like the thing with Gardner is like you're you're not expecting him to age poorly like everything he does now you would expect him to be able to do in three four years five years just because of his skill set but like if you have Dermot and then like a couple years from now or whenever you have Sandine, uh, like suddenly, like you wonder, is is it better to use the, those those cap dollars on a bigger need, which is obviously right defense? Now, like the the thing is, like next year, there's n- there's not really anyone to go get in unrestricted free agency. You could trade for like a restricted free agent, like a Jacob Truba is obviously the name so, that comes so here's, to mind. So here's like, a counterpoint to that, Jonah. So it's like if you can get Gardner on a contract where he's clearly undervalued. There's no way yeah. that that hurts you because whether that means you no, you trade true. a Dermot or a Sandine or you trade Gardner or you know like they they've got a lot of really nice options on left defense. So the the key though is you don't want to get them on a huge contract. It makes them harder to trade and and it makes your cap situation tougher. So that's going to be the decision. I I expect that Gardner won't be back, but you know there have been talks and my guess is the talks are here's what we can afford. Well, so the thing is, like, it's not, you mentioned it, and it, it really, what we know about his personality, like, you would think he would want to stay, just because this is, like, the only place he's played in the NHL, he's got a family here now, like, he's he's basically grown up here. Um, you would think, like, that would all be appealing to him, but, like, he, it's a lot more money he can potentially get in UFA, like... If Ryan McDonough got six seven five, and you know Ryan Ellis got six two five, and Nate Schmidt got five nine five, Gardner, I don't know. Like it's not crazy that Gardner could get seven, and it's not crazy that he could get five six years. I don't know. Like that's a lot of money, and like he could still go play for a good team, maybe a team that's not as good. But I don't know. Like it, it seems like it's a big ask in terms of like how much of a haircut to take, and I guess that's what you have to do when you're in this position if you're the Leafs. Especially when you have other options coming, you know it. It, it feels yeah, like, right. It feels like they're not under pressure. If if Gardner was a right D and he was their only good right defenseman, 
you know, or if he was a center and they and they didn't have a lot of uh, of depth at the position, or even a goalie, you know, that then there might be more leverage on the player side. But I think that, you know, the Leafs have to be they have to be comfortable that at least on on lefty they're going to be okay. Yeah, it's like if you're choosing if, you, if there's only one restaurant available, like you you just have to go there. But there's if there's lot, ten, there's a lot of restaurant talk. There. There's a lot of restaurant talk on this episode. Okay, last thing before we go. Um, you mentioned you're writing about, you know, the sustainability of this start. Um, without going into, like, ruining what you're writing about, what is, like, one thing about the way this has gone so far that you think won't be sustainable? Well, you know about PDO, right? We've talked about PDO before. Yeah, of course. Their PDO is, uh, overall, like all situations, is first in the NHL. And at 5-on-5, it's second. Only the Islanders are higher. Uh, Lou Lamorello is the PDO wizard, apparently, in, for the Islanders. But their PDO is so high, I think it's uh, 103.3. And the highest a team has finished in the last five years is 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 not is lower than that. It's about 102.7. And there have only been five teams in the last five years, or six teams, that have been over uh, 101.8. So they're quite a bit higher than what we would expect to see. And now for the people that don't know, PDO measures shooting and save percentage. And when you tend to be extremely high in both of those marks, uh, there's some elements of unsustainability to what's happening. So what that means is that it's unlikely the Leafs are going to be able to score this this, uh, efficiently and get as good a goaltending as they've gotten so far this year. And I think that makes sense. I mean, if you look at the Leafs' record, they're on pace for 117 points. Um, The... the the counter to that is that they haven't had Matthews for half the year and they haven't had William Nylander. So yeah, those, those are, are two big things. Those are two big things. So if, you know, if they had Matthews for the full year and they had William Nylander, presumably their possession numbers would probably be better. They would probably be generating more shots. Maybe they'd be allowing fewer shots and all of those things impact PDO. So, but just looking at the results, I would say that they're probably not going to score as much at even strength as they have so far this year. And Anderson's not going to be able to be 935 for a full year. The best goalie over the last five years was Carey Price at 933. And that really stood out as an anomaly. So that that's, I mean, it's not doom and gloom. It just means that they're in for some level of regression from this team over the next 61 games. Well, like you mentioned, Anderson, so that's, that's probably going to cool down, like you mentioned. Um, but then, like, you look at, you pick out individual players. Like, Morgan Riley is shooting 15% in his, like, he's not going to, he's not going to have 100 po- 103 points or whatever he's on pace for. So that'll come down. Like, some of the pace of some mm-hmm. of these individuals, like, Casper Kapanen is shooting 20%. That's, mm-hmm. that's probably not going to continue. So it's like little examples of that where you add them up over time. Like, eventually, the whole thing kind of slows down. Now, that being said, like, you get Matthews back, that pushes it back the other way. Maybe Janssen starts scoring more, that pushes it back. You get Nealander back. I don't know, like, it, it, it feels a lot like they're going to be a 115-point team. Like, that, something in that ballpark. Yeah, I would say 110 makes a lot of sense, yeah, at least. They're, they're probably, based on what we've seen so far, in the, in the like, 108 to 113 kind of range. So, I mean, there's going to be some level of coming back to the pack, but... And the question is, is that good enough to finish it at Tampa? And, you know, maybe they start winning some games in shootouts or, or, or some of those things that we haven't really seen a lot of. Or maybe they get start getting some extra points. They don't have any extra points in, in games. Um, 
there's other other things in the record that the other thing that I was surprised I looked at the power play pretty closely this is a piece I think it's going to come out tomorrow but I don't we'll see um, the power play I looked at really closely and it, it actually looks pretty sustainable in fact I think the power play can even be more dangerous just given how many chances they're generating on it well so one power play conversation that I think is interesting and I meant to mention um, in writing about this and I didn't I don't know why um, the power play is like sort of figured itself out a bit without Matthews. Like they've kind of gotten back to the look that they had mm-hmm. last year. And I guess the two years previous where like Kadri is more of a threat. And then you've got Tavares as a, as a threat. You've got Marner or Marner kind of doing his thing. I don't think it's actually, I know it's not going to happen, but like you wonder what would happen if they did have Neander back and they did have Matthews back. If they, ever consider just going back to that as another unit. I don't think they will because like this is a whole big thing, but like it would make them better as a team to have two good units than what they have. Matthews now. was first in the NHL on the power play and yeah. scoring chances per minute and goals per minute when he was on that unit. So Yeah. I would want to I would want to get him back to uh, and plus he really wants to be there. I mean, he wants to be on that top power play unit. So, you know, he he talked about it in in training camp how um, I think you were in Lucan when he talked, but he talked about how Pittsburgh stacks their top unit in Washington, and it was pretty clear that he watched around that he looked at power plays around the league and what what the good teams were doing, and uh, yeah, and, and that he wanted to be part of of that on this team. It's totally fair. I'm just saying, like, it would be interesting. You could even make him on your top unit. Like, it would just be interesting if you moved the puzzle pieces around and had two units, because like, let's be honest, the second unit plays like Babcock doesn't do it exactly like some of those teams with stack units do it like he doesn't leave them out there the whole time do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like he kind of does balance it to a degree and that second one i mean maybe neander comes back and he's on it and like he's the marner of that unit and maybe it gets good and that's totally conceivable so um i guess we'll just have to see we should yeah we should talk about neander just a little bit we said we were going to at the end here just so if people don't want to talk don't want to hear any more neander contract talk they can turn the podcast off and come to the live show next week and drink a beer and you can boo us when we talk about Neilander next week if you want. <laughs> so what do you want to talk about? Well, well we, wrote, so, we both wrote pieces last week about Neilander and you said that they, you argued that if it comes down to it, they have to be comfortable letting him sit for the year. And I said, I didn't agree with that. And I said, I didn't think they should let him sit for the year and, and get him in the, yeah, in, but, the in the lineup at all costs and take it away. Okay, so I don't think your counter countered my count. Your counter countered my counter. I wouldn't I don't let think him you sit. me. I wouldn't let him sit. Yeah, but it's 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 not. That's that wasn't the point. Was like if you can't find a contract that you are comfortable with and they are comfortable with, the other the two choices are you let him sit or you trade him. And if those are the choices, hundred times out of a hundred, I I let him sit. I put now I, I put a hundred different contracts in front of them and say, okay, here's a whole bunch of different options. What do you want to do? But, like, don't you think that's happened? Like, how are we at November, whatever, and there is no contract? Clearly, they have tried all different arrays of contract lengths and terms and, like, all this, and and nothing has worked. So, I don't know. Like, if it was as simple as, okay, here, just sign this one, then it would be done, wouldn't it? I think that a deadline adds a different level to the conversation on both sides. I think both sides are going to have, I don't think we're at the final, final, final offer yet. And we'll see. We'll, we'll see how dug in they are. I mean, 
This is one of the longest contract stalemates in league history. So it's pretty remarkable that it's gotten to this point. I think that there's I think there's going to be some give. At the very end of the day, it's it should be up to the player himself. You've got the agent, you've got, you know, you have the families involved and all of these things. At the end of the day, the player should be the one that decides. So it should go to Neilander and say, "Are you comfortable not playing this year?" Yeah. If you we had a, well, Joe Smith in Tampa wrote about Nikita Kucherov and Kucherov, Kucherov, whatever. He, Kucherov. Kucherov. He he said that they waited right till the day before the season or whatever. He missed training camp, and he said, "You know what? I want to play," and it worked out for him. You know, he he got the three year bridge deal, four point seven six seven, I think it was, and then he hit a home run on his third contract. That's what Nylander should do. My advice to William Nylander is get a bridge deal done, and my advice to the Leafs is get a bridge deal done. And I know that 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 leaves a bad taste in their mouth uh, for for fans and and probably everyone involved. But that's that's the answer here. So whoever is holding up a bridge deal getting done, they're in the wrong. I think the only bridge deal that that I would consider on both sides that that seems fine is two years. I don't think one year. Like I, I really don't think you want to be doing this again next summer. There's going to be too much other shit happening. You just send it to arbitration next summer if you can't get a deal done. Yeah, but like. You can't keep having, like, these are big fights. Like, you can't keep doing this, I don't think. So I think two years would make sense. Like, it's short enough where, where Neil and Derek can look ahead and be like, you know what, two years, I'm going to have two really good years, and then I'm going to get paid. And the Leafs can look at it like two years, we're going to have this guy under, you know, a below-market contract, and then we'll deal with it once, you know, Marlowe comes off the books and we kind of have a better idea of where we're at. Two years is great um, for the Leafs, given the way that the cap situation yeah. works where it's going to be more this year and less next year because they get, they're under a, a really tight cap next year. So yeah, two or three well, is, and I agree is, with you. is great for the Leafs. I agree with you. And I, like, I wish there was, I don't like it. Hey, it's his life. He should do whatever he wants. But like, you almost feel like someone needs to tell him, like, you can't win this. Like I am all player. I'm always on player side. I think players should get as much as they they want and feel like they deserve. And I think he deserves more than is the conventional wisdom. I think he's worth seven, eight million right now on the cap or whatever percentage of the cap you want to, you want to do. Um, but like, he can't win. There's nothing you can do. The system is set up for you to, to lose. Like it's set up in favor of the team. So like, you just have to realize you can't win this fight. And like, I, I don't know. I hope there's someone around him who's telling him that, like, you can't win this. You, you, you're, you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing you can do short of this. I guess they can request a trade. Yeah, and the Leafs can say thanks. We'll take that request under advisement and throw it in the trash. Because, yeah. like, you, you can't trade him. That's like that was essentially my argument. There's no trade you're going to make with this guy where you're going to win. You're we'll, going to lose. Well, name name a player that's requested a trade and it worked out great, and he stayed with the organization long term. Like eventually, we, don't, the, we just no, that's not true. We just don't hear about all the trades. Eventually, requests. the players team requests trades all the time. Eventually, the team would would move on from him. But the question for Nylander is: Are they going to? It makes more sense for the Leafs in terms of what they're going to get back to trade him in the summer. So the, the bizarre thing is, like, no one has. It still makes zero sense that no team has offersheeted him. Like, that is ludicrous. Like, that is whichever GMs are in position to do it and, and need him. Like, 
they are not doing their job, to be honest. Like my guess is the teams that league. want him are nervous that the picks that they have to give up are going to be good picks. Like I think the teams. Yeah, that, but the least the they're not going to do it at a point where it's the four first round picks. No. No. So like you're going to do it where it's a what is it a first a second and a third something like that. Yeah. That's yep. worth it. Yep. And and the thing is like in that situation the Leafs are going to match and like so the at the very least you are just screwing the Leafs a little bit in terms of the cap. Like yeah, I mean one of their yeah team. one of their division rivals should do that tomorrow. I don't know why they don't. Yes. I mean if you're it's crazy. you look at a team like Tampa that's that's capped really tight against the cap like they should just do it. I mean I guess they can't fit them in is the problem like they can't. how about Montreal right. Ottawa? Or like any one of these teams that sucks. Buffalo? Yeah. Detroit? The the problem for yeah, those teams, some of those teams, is that the pick is going to be really good, right? And Ottawa doesn't have their first-round pick, so they can't do it. But, you know, if yeah, I'm Detroit, I'd be worried gonna be I'm, I'm going to get Jack Hughes. So, you know. But it, it's, an, it's, an, it's an interesting thought. I mean, you know, Florida or, or Buffalo, I guess, maybe makes sense. I'm just yeah, thinking. because, like, your first-round pick, even if your first-round pick is, is number five, Newlander is better than that, and right. he's twenty-two. Like, right. right? I don't know. But anyway. but that first-round pick he is on an entry-level deal for three years. He's not making seven and a half million dollars a year. Yeah, and he's also not as good. Right. I don't know. I I think he's gotten very undervalued or underrated. He's just too early in the pro in his career. He's only played like like what has he played? He's played like hundred and seventy games or something like that, if that. Like it's yeah. and he had a bad. He had a poor postseason. He just he needs more of a resume to take the stand that he's taking. So you got to come yeah, back and, and yet keep it's playing. Totally and fair then... that he's taking the stand, man. Like it's he's. It, I think it's fair to do it. Well, we don't know what stand they're taking. Like we don't know all the particulars of what's been turned down. We're guessing. True. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, we can debate. We, we're we have to talk about this more. Obviously, at the live show next week. Yeah, November we will. twenty-nine. That's going to be how many days are in November? Thirty. Yes. <laughs> okay, so there's going to be two days until the December first deadline. So that's going to be like a really, really interesting time because no, it's on a Saturday. Hey, that's kind of awkward. No, it's not. Oh, the the deadline is. Yeah, I'll yeah. be in Minnesota. The Leafs are playing the Wild. Huh. Well, you'll be on Saturday. You might be on Nealander Watch. Weird. Yeah. So anyway, come out to the live show. It's at the Rivoli. It's at Queen and Spadina. It's a cool bar, even just like if you want to stick around after. There's good if you like playing pool. It's it's known for its pool <laughs> pool tables. I'm not good at pool. No, no, just come and have a beer with me. It's fine. Yeah, so come to the live show. Go to the Saki Hall of Fame and buy some socks. There's some good socks. They even had Joe Bowen socks. I saw. So you can buy those, James. Yeah, I'll get you some of those for Christmas. <laughs> All right, so we will be back next week with the live show at the Rivoli. So come check us out. Thanks for listening.